say, God wants to use you. Now turn in the other direction and tell the other person, God wants to use you. Now say it to the person across the sanctuary, God wants to use you. Now point at you and say, God wants to use me. God wants to use you in the process of five loaves and two fish. God wants to use you to feed the 5,000. God wants to use you to feed the multitudes. We are in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6. Mark, chapter 6, verse 30. The setting of this place is in the wilderness, close to the Sea of Galilee. It is in the wilderness, and this feeding of the 5,000 happens in this remote place. This wilderness is a place of vulnerability, a place of weakness, a place of need and protection, and it is a place of transformation. Mark chapter 6, verse 30. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it is already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. <clears throat> they said to him, that would take eight months of a man's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass, so they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up the 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. There is a crowd. It is late. The people are hungry. There is a need. Could Jesus simply have snapped his fingers and made food appear? 
Could Jesus have simply said, everyone close your eyes, and on the count of three, hold out your hands, and you're going to find there's food in them? Could Jesus have said, I'm going to snap my fingers and make you feel full? He could have. He could have. There are many ways he could have solved the problem that is presenting. There are many ways he could have met the need. But Jesus chooses to take his immature, bumbling, underdeveloped disciples, and he says to them, you do it. Jesus could have done it, but there is a process of engaging the disciples because he wants them to be involved. In the passage, it reads, the disciples say, they come to him and they say, this is a remote place, it's already late, send the people away. And he says, you give them something to eat. So he's calling them out. Well, I, I skipped this part in the passage then. Then what they, what they do is they grumble. They say, uh, we kind of can't, like that's a lot of money. And we, we wouldn't know how to, how to get all that money. And also it's just kind of complicated feeding a lot of people like this. We're talking over 5,000 people here. So they're, they're protesting. But Jesus doesn't say, okay, well, if you're going to have a bad attitude, then just go do your thing and I'll, you know. No, he, Jesus persists. And he asks them another question. He asks them a question. He says, well, how many loaves do you have? They don't know. They don't have any. And then he says, go and see. And the disciples are thinking, we're supposed to, like, turn and go ask people if they have food to feed all these? Of course, of course they would have eaten already if they had it. He says, go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. <laughs> and they're like, Jesus, you're not, you're not doing well here. I, we told you this wasn't going to work. Here, we just proved it. We went out. We did what you said. We're proving to you it's not going to work. And then in verse 41, Jesus takes the five loaves, the two fish. He looks up to heaven. He gives thanks, and he breaks this meager little offering and then he gives it to the disciples to set before the people. He says, I am going to use you disciples to be the servers of the food. You take the bread, you take the fish, you take it from my hands, and you put it in their hands. So he's engaging them in a, in a process. First he calls them out and says, you need to get involved. And then he says, what are your resources? And they come back and they tell him they're not good. And he says, great, give it to me and then I'm going to give it back to you and then you're going to give it to others. He says, step up, assess your resources, and participate in the food distribution. Church, God wants to work through you. Could he snap his fingers and make things happen in this world? Yes. But he has chosen, has always chosen, and is continuing to choose to work through people in the world. People, the image of God, his treasured creation. We, created in his image, reflect the glory of God. And he says, you are my people, you are my hands and my feet in this world. And I choose to work through you. And you say, but we are just bumbling, immature disciples and we don't have resources, and we don't have any clue what you are doing because you don't make any sense at all. What are we supposed to do with that? And Jesus says, I choose to use you. When God moves in a big way, 
he always requires his people to do something first. He told Moses to hold out his rod. And what happened when Moses held out his rod? The Red Sea parted. But it didn't part until Moses held up his rod. I mean, just imagine that moment, coming up to the edge of the Red Sea, and like, there's water there. <laughs> there's water there, and Moses is like, okay, okay, God. He holds up his rod, takes that step of faith. He, he works through Joshua, and he tells Joshua, have the priests go before the people of Israel. Have the priests go in front of the army. And Joshua's like, we're at war here. And he says, have the priests go first. Have them step into the water. Have them walk into that water. And as the priests go first, the waters in the Jordan River part. He tells Naaman, Naaman, go dip into the river seven times. Naaman's dipping once. Nothing's happening. He wants healing. Nothing's happening. He dips twice. Nothing's happening. He, he gets to five times and six times. And as he completes what God tells him to do, then God moves. He told those at Lazarus' tomb to roll that stone away. He doesn't say he's going to, don't worry, he's coming back to life. He says first, roll that stone away. Take that step. He tells the disciples, go and see what bread and fish you can find. God is calling you to steps of faith. He's chosen to work through you. He's calling you to take steps. And as you move, he will move. The first point today is you are God's hands and feet in this world. It's how he wants to work. It's not because he can't work differently. It's because he has always chosen to work through people. From Abraham to David, to Mary, to the 12 disciples, to the Apostle Paul, to the outbreak of the Holy Spirit on all the believers in the Church of Acts. God wants to work through his people. Let's look at how this whole miracle begins. Looking a little more closely at the passage, Mark 6, verse 35. By this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place. It's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. Jesus calls out his disciples. He calls them out. Now, I'm interested in the context of what's been happening here. We talked about this a little bit last week, where the disciple, where, first of all, there, John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, and the prophet going before Jesus had just been brutally murdered. Horrible, horrible situation. They're carrying the heaviness of this. I mean, this was emotionally exhausting in and of itself. But before that, the disciples had been sent out. Jesus sent them out two by two, and he sent them out into the area to preach, to heal, to cast out demons. And so the disciples are sent out into their really inaugural ministries. They're like, okay, this is what it means to follow Jesus. Like, we're going and we're, we're doing acts of Jesus in our world. It's amazing. And they come back, and they're so excited. And they say, Lord, even the demons submitted to us. Lord, we can't believe that we, God is using us in such a mighty way. So they come back really excited. They've just done that. Then they get this news about John the Baptist. And then Jesus says, all right, everybody's, we're so popular, we're so crazy right now. There's so many people, and the scripture says people are coming and going, they don't even have time to eat. And there's just, there's just kind of a lot going on. 
good, bad, hard, exhausting, but everyone's tired. They're tired. And so this is why Jesus says, let's go to a quiet place. But here we are, they don't find a quiet place. Instead, they end up with yet another giant crowd. And instead of Jesus saying, hey, let's go to a quiet place, he's saying, all right, you feed them. You give them something to eat. Jesus calls them out in this moment. He calls them out. The second point for us today is you have been called to radical following. If you are a believer in Jesus, he has called you to a radical following. Following him in a way that defies how we normally do things in this world. He has called you to a radical following. Radical following, letter A, is often surprising. Usually we can't plan out what God is going to call us to do. Following him means listening and paying attention and being responsive to the prompting of the Holy Spirit in our lives, which if you are a believer, you have the Holy Spirit in your life. Radical following is often surprising. I think it's fair to say that when Jesus said, you give them something to eat, they didn't see that coming. And sometimes the Holy Spirit prompts us to things. And as we grow in maturity, we will learn to pay attention to those and to follow even the surprising prompts of the Holy Spirit. Letter B, radical following is sacrificial. Somehow we have gotten into the mentality that Christianity and Burger King go together, and so it's, you know, your way. It's made your way right away. And we think that church is all about getting filled up and healed, and it is those things, but that's not where it stops. Jesus is very interested in your filling and in your healing and in your wholeness. But God works in the world through people, and God has a mission, and you are part of that mission. And radical following is sacrificial. Who shows us this more than anybody? Jesus. I mean, look at his life. Yes, there are glorious moments. There are glorious moments where 5,000 people and more are being fed in this amazing miracle. But it's couched into this life of sacrifice, of hard work, of training people up, of coaching his disciples, of, of raising up the next generation of followers. He, there's the sacrifice of life that is, that is all around. Radical following is going to cost you something. In fact, Jesus says it's going to cost you your life. We use the phrase, give our lives to Christ. But sometimes I think we act like we can invite Jesus into our lives and then we get to keep our lives and just add Jesus to it. Jesus says, give your life to me. Give it over. Let me lead. Sacrifice. Money, goals, ambitions, your stuff, disciplines that you don't want to have in your life that he's calling you to get those disciplines. Sacrifice. Radical following, letter C, always involves stepping out of comfort zones. 
So that's, fun, that's a fun one, isn't it? Right. I mean, we love this one. But we have this, we have this awkward moment where these are disciples who want to follow Jesus. I mean, raise your hand if you want to follow Jesus. We, we want to follow Jesus, right? But then there's this awkward calling out moment. And he says, you give them something to eat. And they're like, oh, shoot. We thought we were going to get away and have a quiet place to rest. And now he wants us to do this thing. But radical following involves stepping out of comfort zones. It means that sometimes Jesus says, hey, you're stuck here. It's time. You know, if, if the Holy Spirit's been, been bugging you about this, if, if you're listening, you know, you know that you're being called out. The last two days, our leadership team has been going through our annual leadership retreat. There are a group of us, our, the team leaders who lead the different ministry teams here, we did it two days away, and we focused on remembering who we are and what God has called us to and did some leadership development, some planning, and that sort of thing. And I thought it would be helpful for all of us to remember City Life's mission statement today because it directly connects to what's happening in this passage. Can we read this together? City Life's mission is to manifest God's kingdom now by calling out disciples and renewing our neighborhoods. One more time. To manifest God's kingdom now by calling out disciples and renewing our neighborhoods. Our ultimate mission is to manifest God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And we do that in two ways, to call out disciples and to renew our neighborhoods. Now this phrase, calling out disciples, this calling out, I mean, that's what's happening here. Jesus is calling out his disciples. He's, he's like, all right, people, it's your turn. Do it. I'm calling you out. You can't just blend into the multitude. I have called you out now to be the servers. You can't just be part of the crowd and just get fed. I am calling you out to lead. Calling out is a, a scriptural phrase that happens all throughout the Bible. We have Abraham who's called out and God sends him not knowing where he was going. And it's because of Abraham's calling that all nations will be blessed through him. I mean, it's a huge theme in, in the story of Abraham. We have the disciples that are called out to follow Jesus. We, a calling is all over the place. And here we have Jesus calling out his disciples to start acting, to do God's work, to be his hands and feet. The word for church in Greek, which is what the New Testament is written in, is ekklesia. Say ekklesia. And ekklesia, church, means called out ones. The church, the ekklesia, you are the called out ones. That's actually what you are called. So when we say we are the church, we are saying we are the called out ones. Jesus has called you out. That means you are called into something amazing. It also means you are called out of something that you have been stuck in. And so Jesus is calling us out. He, and radical following of him is often surprising, often sacrificial, and it involves stepping out of comfort zones. We, City Life, have not been called to be inactive Christians. We have not been called to be chair sitters on Sunday mornings. We have not been called to be self-centered and self-absorbed. We have not been called to comfort. That's for heaven. We've not been called to easy. We've not been called to lazy. 
we've not been called to simply consume. We've been called out, called out of that. And Jesus has an invitation for you today, and the invitation for you is come out of the crowd. You give them something to eat. So back to the disciples, yet, yet to this, despite this challenging invitation, and even though this challenge has come directly from Jesus himself, from his own lips, <laughs> and even though Jesus is always right, because, I mean, <laughs> he's always right, right? And even though they believe he's powerful, because they know he is, they, they believe all the right things. He's powerful, yeah, he told us to do it, we heard it with, with our own ears, came from his own mouth, but even though they know this, they still resist <laughs> They still push back. They still, they still don't like it. And, and they still protest. And so they said, Lord, not going to work. This is Philip. Another gospel tells us that it's the, the apostle Philip. He says, Lord, not going to work. Like eight months wages, way too much money, not going to work. And I think that, church, we sometimes can hear direction from the mouth of Jesus, and we still resist him just like the disciples. It's in the scripture. We read it. It's there. It's plain. But we resist. The Holy Spirit prompts us, and we are really good at putting on our noise-canceling headphones and turning that off. We can hear direction from the mouth of Jesus himself, and we can still resist him. I wonder what your resistance is today. Where where are you resisting a move that God wants to do in you, through you? Where are you protesting? Where are you saying, I don't have enough? Where are you saying, I'm not going there? What is that thing, that nagging thing, that's been kind of in the background? just kind of bugging you. And, and you've, you've learned how to not make it the big thing. You've, you've learned how to stuff it, but it's that little, that nagging thing. The third point here is that your resistance needs exploring. Your resistance needs exploring. Where are you resisting God? We know what he wants to do. We know what he wants us to do, but we don't do it. We have an inkling that we need to go somewhere or address something or look more closely at something, but we don't want to. Why? Is it because we know better? Do you ever think you know better than God? Do you ever act like you think you know better than God? Your, is it because your agenda is more important than God's? Because your time management is is more wise than God's time management. And so when he's poking you and prodding you and saying this is a priority, you're like, not yet. It's not a good time, God. Does your time management take precedence over God's? Is it because your ideas are better than God's? Because you know how to save yourself better than he does? Is, is it because you tell God, God, I'm just going to leave the 5,000. I'm going home. I'm tired and I'm done. I'm going home. You, you do you, you handle this, 
other people handle it. I'm, I'm done. Do you quit on God? Do, do you tell God, God, you're asking too much? I can't do that. It's impossible. And so you, you tell the God of the impossible that something's impossible for him. Why are you resisting God? Why do you usually resist him? God wanted to work through his disciples, but they didn't want to be worked through. I think that's a lot of us. I'm absolutely convinced God wants to work through this church. I'm convinced. I don't know how. It's not, me to ev it's not even my job to know all that. But I'm convinced that God wants to work through us. And the question for us is, will we be worked through? And, and we, we're stressed, you know? We're stressed about life. Life is heavy and hard and complicated, and we're trying to figure out marriage, and we're trying to figure out how on earth do we raise these children, and we're, we're trying to figure out my job's a mess. I can't find a job. I, I'm struggling with my job. We're, uh, I've got this stuff from the past that's my baggage, and I don't know what to do with it. We're, we're stressed, and we're distracted. There's something, church, about bringing this to God and saying, Lord, I don't even know if I know what my resistance is, but I know it's there. Bringing it to God and letting God start working because as he does, he prioritizes the things that need to be prioritized. He deals with what needs to be dealt with and he gives you one step at a time. As we lean into our resistance, that is where the real healing is going to happen. When you read your Bible and something provokes you, you need to explore that. When you're praying and you have an unsettled spirit about something, you need to just not pray past it. You need to just be in that moment, bring your whole self to God, and you need to explore that. You need to pay attention to what provokes you, and often this is the crucial place. It is it, the place that you are avoiding that God wants to work. The disciples wanted to avoid that crowd, and that was exactly where the miracle was going to happen. It was in the crowd. They were going to find the five loaves and the two fish, and that's exactly what the disciples want to avoid. If you lean in, if you lean into these things that the Holy Spirit is stirring up, you will find the five loaves and the two fish that are going to be the beginning of your miracle, even if you don't see it at first. The disciples said, send the crowds away. And Jesus says, go to the crowds, because that's where I'm going to start the work. Where is the Holy Spirit pushing you right now, nudging you? The Holy Spirit's not pushy. I shouldn't say pushy. Where is, where is he nudging you? Where is he bugging you? He will bug you. Where is he poking you? What do you know God wants you to do that you have resisted? Humble yourselves before the Lord. And as we explore these areas of resistance, that's where the breakthrough begins to happen. So Jesus says to them in verse 38, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. So there's this little battle of the wills that's going on right here, right? I mean, this is what happens in times of resistance. There's a little battle of the wills. Jesus is like, you got to do this thing. And we're like, uh-uh, uh-uh. And so Jesus keeps insisting. 
you go feed them. Go and see. Go find out what you've got. And the disciples are like, nope, we don't have enough money. Not going to work. And Jesus keeps on persisting. So here he's, this is a second layer of persistence. He says, uh, go and see what you've got. And the disciples come back and they're like, it's not enough. So Jesus keeps insisting. The disciples keep resisting. Jesus keeps insisting. And eventually the disciples will begin to be assisting. So the disciples face their resistance because Jesus pushes them to. They face their resistance. They obey. They step out in faith. And the results of the five loaves and the two fish look like a tremendous flop. Okay, Jesus, you pushed me. I said, fine. I went. I did what you said. And this is what I've got. Five and two. See, I told you so. Told you I was right. I don't know, City Life, why God chooses to work with people, (laughs) especially when we act like that. I don't know why he delights to engage with us as his hands and his feet. I don't know why Jesus included the disciples at all and why he didn't just magically make something happen and just deal with the hunger problem. Maybe it's because that wasn't the real problem. I don't know. All I know is that he delights to use us. He wants to use us, and it is his way of working in the world. It is to use you, you ordinary, normal people just like the disciples. Your resistance needs exploring. The fourth point here is your inadequacy is useful to God. Your inadequacy is useful to God. You know, when the disciples at at another part in the gospel come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, we want to sit at your right hand and your left when when you ascend the kingdom. They're saying, Jesus, we have something to offer you. Here we are. We have something to offer you. We're we're, we're treasures for you. <laughs> Contrasting with here and there, they're like, Jesus, we, we, don't, we, don't, we don't got stuff to offer you here. But your inadequacy is useful to God. Your weakness, what you offer, the little you have, your, your faithless, scary first steps is useful to God where your faith is weak, where you are wavering. He takes our scarcity. He takes our resources that are so small that aren't that big of a thing. He takes our scarcity and he makes it abundant. This is a story where the clashing of our lack clashes with the abundance of God. When Philip says, Jesus, there is not nearly enough money to buy food, he's not wrong. There isn't. But his understanding, while it's correct, is incomplete. Your inadequacy is useful to God. He doesn't need a lot to work with. He just wants to have a little of your something. He wants your engagement. He wants your heart. He wants you in it. And he'll take what we have, and he'll make it whatever it needs to be. In 2 Corinthians 12, 9, The apostle writes, But the Lord said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. 
They have weak faith. They have weak doubt. (laughs) They barely obey Jesus, but they do, and Jesus can work with that. And so the passage continues in verse 41. Jesus taking the five loaves and the two fish, looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he uses his disciples again. He gave them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up the 12 basketfuls basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. Look who picks up the abundance. I think that's just a little gift to them. The people all eat and they're satisfied and that that is a gift. But the disciples who who were part of the participation of the work, the disciples are the one who get to have the hands-on This is the abundance of God right here in this basket. We are God's hands and feet in this world. He's picked us. Despite our inadequacies, despite our inabilities, despite how we don't measure up, despite sometimes our arrogance, despite our sense of thinking we do have a lot to offer, he works with that too. You are God's hands and feet in this world. And you've been called to radical following. A radical following of, of sacrifice and of, that doesn't always line up with how we think th- things should be done. And you have resistance that needs to be probed. And you need to know that your inadequacy is, is useful to God. There's a, a real life story about a woman who goes by the name of Madeline J. In 1980, she was brought to St. Benedict's Hospital. She was 60 years old. She had cerebral palsy and was congenitally blind. Very intelligent, uh, very literate. She, had, she knew lots of books. And, uh, and so it was just her, her body didn't function as, as she wanted it to, and, and she couldn't see anything. And so Dr. Oliver Sachs recorded this, uh, what happened in this uh, medical situation. Dr. Oliver Sachs said to Madeline, you must be very skilled at reading Braille because she spoke with uh, such insight into literature and she would quote literature passages. He says, you've read a tremendous amount. You You must be really good at Braille. And she said, well, actually, no, I'm not. She said, I'll... I don't even know how to read Braille. And he said, well, how do you know all these books? And she said, people have been reading to me. They've been reading books out loud, uh, and, but I can't read Braille. I can't read a single word. And, and she says, I, I can't read Braille because I can't use my hands. And she, she holds them up and she says, these are useless, God-forsaken lumps of dough. They don't even feel like they're part of me. She says, I can't even use my hands. And Dr. Dr. Oliver Sachs thought to himself, that's really funny, because usually use, lack of use of hands isn't part of cerebral palsy, and it's, it's not obviously not part of being blind, and, and he thought, that's just a little unusual. And so he began to do some testing, and he found that she had proper sensation in her hands, but there was a disconnect between the sensation that she would experience in her hands and the perception in her brain of what she was experiencing. And what he discovered was that her family, who had taken care of her for 60 years, had done everything for her. 
They, they read to her, they fed her, they bathed her, they did everything for her because they thought she couldn't. And so she never developed the, the, the mental, physical connections that developed the perceptions between what she was feeling and how her brain worked, and so she never learned to use her hands. So when Dr. Oliver would put something in her hands, she, she couldn't tell what it was. Even when he put his own hand in her hand, she couldn't figure it out. She had, it had literally never been developed. And so he thought, well, I'm just going to try an experiment. I'm going I'm to take her back and just how, how babies usually begin to experience this. Babies usually learn through eating. And they, they learn at their, at their mother's breast. They learn to, to eat, and to, that's how their sensory experience begins. And he said, I'm going to start that way. So he, he privately instructed the nurses, when you bring food to Madeline, put it just a little out of her reach. Don't, don't be mean. Don't, don't, make any, don't even say anything about it. Just put it slightly out of her reach and do it for a few days, and let's see what happens. Well, after a few days, Madeline got a little tired of waiting for someone to come back and fix it. And so she eventually reached out her hand found that bagel, and began to feed herself. And over time, she was able to learn how to do this, and her brain developed in a new way at the age of 60, and she began to ask for modeling clay, and then she would start to model the things that she was, was uh, experiencing and, and discovering through touch, and she became an artist. They, they call her the artist of St. Benedict's Hospital, and she became an artist with, with this clay, All of this was because she was never called out. All of this was because she didn't realize that there was work to do through her. I think like Madeline, we, we think we can't. We're aware of our impairments. We're aware of our limitations. And we think that means God can't use us. And so we, we tell God we can't do it. And we rely, listen to this, we rely on Jesus to do things that he wants us to do. God wants to work through you, church. Jesus tells us in John 14, he says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing, Jesus says. That's you and me doing the things that Jesus does. And Jesus says, he will do even greater things than these. You have been called to greater things than even Jesus did. Jesus tells us that. God wants to use you. And that is our good news for today. And so, Lord Jesus, we come before you today, and so often we... Like the disciples, we want to blend into the crowd. We say, let me just be part of the crowd. And Jesus, you're calling us out. If you're sensing that Jesus is calling you out to something, it doesn't matter what it is, to a new ministry, to a courageous conversation with someone, to a hard relationship, to maybe he's calling you out to address something in your life. If Jesus is calling you out to something, will you stand where you are? Be called out from where you are. He's calling you. He's calling you out and away. And he's calling you into something. Into his marvelous light. God wants to work through you. And so, Lord Jesus, 
Take us. Use us in our weakness, in our stubbornness, in our resistance. Lord, confront us in our resistance. Your kindness leads us to repentance. And in your kindness, help us to repent of where we push back, where we rebel. Jesus, you love us. Jesus, you have food for us. You have 12 baskets of leftovers for us. Lord, help us not to get stuck in the part of the story where we just focus on the five loaves and two fish and say this is all we have. Help us to go all the way through the story, walking it faithfully with you. We trust you for your abundance and your power and your perfect plan. Thank you for using us, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 Will you please stand?